actually what we originally were going to have a big workshop uh, in, at the beginning of January, and then through lots of different changes and stuff, we're actually going to have a workshop. It'll be an extended service in two weeks just to help us get ready for the year. But as you can tell, if you were here last week, we've already begun those discussions and focusing on those things. We're going to be studying the book of Hebrews together. Uh, and I'll tell you why in a minute as we get in there, because I think it's a very significant book for us as a group. If you're here uh, visiting, uh, you, you came at a great time because we're beginning something new. So you can plug right in uh, now. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but I'm super excited. We're going to get some of the background stuff out of the way this morning. But also, even in that, there's a lot of good and a lot of great things that God has to say to us to prepare us as we get ready for a great year. Our prayer is that this be your greatest Woo! year spiritually. Yes. The best year you've ever had in your life. And for some of us, we have no idea what that means. Mm. Others of us are like, man, my best year was 1994. Oh you can God. top that. Okay? Wow. Because here's the question. Is God done with you? No. No. Is, is God finished with the church? No. No. Are, have we reached perfection? No. I, I think I need a stronger no on that one. Have we reached perfection? No. Are you perfect? No. Do you have some things to change? Okay, that's why we're all here. This is not the church of perfect people. That was down the street. This is the church of imperfect people. All right? So if you've got issues in your life, you got character flaws, you got sin you need to deal with, you're in the right church. I want to share some thoughts before that. Okay. Michelle and I had the blessing of living in Kingston, Jamaica for a short time. And while I was there, I was taking a jitney to a car to meet somebody, and there was a King Burger across the street. Not a Burger King, a King Burger. And I couldn't resist, I had to go in and I had a Whomper. And to my amazement, right down the street, there was also a McDowell's. A home of the Golden Arcs. You thought that was in Queens. No, it's in Kingston. And I loved it. I couldn't believe it. You know, the, the, the King Burger. But, you know, there's, there's other things out there that are kind of like sort of, but not really. You know, these are really nice slippers. Nikes, they are. Not Nikes, Nikes. Or the D. Some of you may not even notice. That's supposed to be a B. But you can buy these. You can actually buy them. Or you can go to lunch at KLG's, which I don't even know what KLG stands for. I was kind of wondering, Kingston's Little Chicken or something? I don't know. I was trying to figure out what, what KLG stands for. And there's all kinds of things like that. You can have a cup of coffee at Sunbucks if you want. Sunbucks! Give me some Sunbucks. And we all know, especially if you've been to certain parts of town where they sell stuff that looks a lot like the real stuff, but it's not, right? I never forget, I was in, I was in, we were living in Mexico City, 
And I needed some some new uh, tennis shoes, or as the East Coast calls them, sneakers. Yeah. And and uh, I went down I went down to the market, the open market, where you could find stuff that was from America, that was from the United States, for good prices. And I saw some Raybocks. Now this was 1989. Raybox. And I was excited. I was like, "Wow, this is great! These Raybocks are only like 20 bucks. They're like 25 dollars, and that was pretty cheap. And they're brand new. They look nice. So I was all excited. I bought them, took them home. I was lacing them up, and then I was looking at that Raybocks. Aren't they supposed to be Reeboks? <laughs> and I realized that they're not Reeboks. They're Raybocks. They looked just like the real thing. Unfortunately, the soles fell off about two weeks later. You know, and then there's always the generic, you know, which nobody wants the generic. That's, you know, you, you can always tell what ministry you go to. You know, when you go to the Marys, you get wine or, or, or Coca-Cola or ginger ale. When you go to campus, you get the generic, you know. Yeah. You go to the team campus events. Come on, campus. Coca-Cola... Part of their marketing strategy was to call themselves the real thing. Not a fake. You know, when you have no money, you might buy the fake thing. But as soon as you can, you want the real thing. You want what's real. You don't want to be faked out. Right? The worst thing is to find out somebody's faked you out. And there's certain things you know about fake things. Fake things don't last as long as the real thing. Fake things are made cheap. Fake things aren't as nice. They look as nice on the outside. In fact, a lot of times, there's a lot of fake stuff out there. You couldn't tell the difference. When I go to swap meet in San Diego. You know, if you see Dory the Explorer, Dora. I mean, she's, she looks a lot like Dora the Explorer, you know. And BB looks a lot like Meme and all these different people. They look a lot alike. But you know they're not the same thing. They're not the real thing. We want the real thing, right? It matters. I don't want to be fake. I don't want anybody to think I'm fake. And I certainly don't want my religion to be fake. The world is full of fake religion. There's a show I couldn't resist. I had to watch it on Netflix called The Messiah. And it was about a guy who's pretending to be Jesus. And all the things that happen. And, and I, won't, I won't give it away, but you know the big question is, is he real or is he not real? And people are wrestling with it. And trying to find out. And the big clue is can he perform miracles or not? Mm. And are his miracles legitimate? It was the question the first several hundred years of Jesus, of, of Christianity after Jesus died. Was he really the Messiah? Is, was he the real thing? But just as big as that question was, which was astoundingly, profoundly answered, by rising from the dead. Because nobody could pull that off. By raising people from the dead. Because none of the fake messiahs could do that. By healing people in public. Because nobody else could do that. And he did it not once or twice 
like in the show, he did it again and again and again and again and again to show everybody that he's the real Messiah, mm, that he is the Lord, that he is God in the flesh, that he's not just some prophet, he's not just some nice guy, he's not just a wise person, he is the Lord. He is the Adonai. He is the Messiah. And he saved people. And he proved it through the miracles. But the other big question out there was, not just, is he the real thing? The other big question out there was, are the people who claim to be Christians the real thing? Wow. Are they real? Come on, bro. And once again, the proof was in the miracles. <clears throat> people that were set free from sin. People that were healed. People that went through miracles themselves. In fact, if you went through something big, you would testify to that. And say, "This I proclaim to you Jesus who did this in my life. I am witness to the power of Jesus. And in fact, that's what they called the early Christians, witnesses. Yeah. And in fact, the early word, martyr, we think of people who die, it's really people who witness or sacrifice for the Lord. They were known by the power that is evident in their lives. Mm. Not just because they had a clever argument, not just because they had a new religion, it's by the transformation in their lives. But Jesus warned them before it ever happened. He said, look, because of the rise in wickedness, the hearts of many will grow cold. Matthew 24, 12. He said, watch out. People's hearts will grow cold. He warned the people of God. He, he quoted Isaiah. They will be ever hearing. They will be ever listening, but never hearing. Ever seeing, but never perceiving. Many of them will call themselves God's people, but they're not really God's people. Mm. And the lack of miracles is the proof that they're not changing, that they're not really different. I remember one time a sister came up to me and said, come on, let's be honest. What's the difference between us and every other church? We're just the same. Well... And I said, well, you might be the same, but I'm not the same. Amen. And I can show it by the changes in my life. Yes. I can show it by how I dealt with sin. I can show it by the victories God has given me and the many miracles that God has performed in my life. Come on, Robert. If you're the same as everyone else, then you need to stop and ask yourself, am I really a Christian? Amen. Am I the real thing? Yeah. Or am I faking it? Mm. Several years ago, the Barna Group, which is this is the group that does all this research and analysis of what's happening in the religious world, they did a massive study. I think I shared about this before, but I want to remind us because this is key to understanding even why we're studying the book of Hebrews. They did a massive study. They asked thousands of churchgoers about their lives. Because the goal of the study was to show the difference Jesus makes in your life. And how powerful that difference is. Mm 
And so they asked them things like the quality of your marriage. Mm. On a scale of one to ten, how happy are you? How's your relationship with your kids? How's your relationship with your parents? How's your relationship with your siblings? Things that are really do test our faith. Mm. Really do show whether or not we're following Jesus or not. How are your friendships? How is your purity? Mm. Yep. How is your honesty? Have you been up front? Do you confess your sins? Mm. And they asked all these questions. How are you doing with addiction? And at the end of it, they, they summarized all the data. They, they crunched all the data. And the report came out. And they were shocked. Because what came out was, when they compared the group that doesn't go to church and doesn't claim to follow Jesus to the group that goes to church and claims to be Christians, there wasn't much difference. And in fact, in some of the stats, the non-Christian group did better. So the question that immediately raises is does Jesus make a difference? Wow. Now if you follow Jesus, and you are devoted to Jesus, you know absolutely the answer to that question yep. is yes. Mm -hmm. He's made a complete difference in my life. Yes, yep. he has. Raise your hand if he's made a total difference in your life. Mm -hmm. We know <laughs> that he makes a difference, but still, it posed a problem for them that either Jesus makes no difference or they're not really disciples. Right. They're not real. They're fake disciples. And it's a fake religion. Preach. It looks the same on the outside. Just like my Raybacks look like Reeboks. Yes. On the outside. And the swish on Nikkei looks a lot like the swish on Nike. Oh, okay. Nikkei. <laughs> but it's what was on the inside that made the difference. What was happening inside? And sometimes, you know, the, if you think about it, the best confusion has some truth in it. The best lies are lies that are laced with truth. Enough truth to get you to believe it and swallow the rest that's not truth. And Satan has done a great job of causing lots of confusion in the religious world. And lots of confusion even in the Christian world. And, and, and making it so that basically everybody gets to define what they think a Christian is. When Jesus had a very clear definition. And sometimes people start out wrong, but sometimes even, even in the church, people start out close to Jesus and then drift away from him. And they're faking it. They're, not, they're no longer real Christians. Wow. Jesus warned, because of the increase of wickedness, the hearts of many will grow cold. That they would lose their faith. Mm. To me, this is the scariest, the scariest challenge every Christian faces. Yeah. Is falling away without even knowing it. Mm is drifting away from Jesus till you're so far and you don't even know. You go through the motions. We're creatures of habit. 
We, 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 you know, most of us probably are sitting in the same place we sat last week. Yes. You know, we find our place. In fact, we go to our chair and somebody's in it. We're like, don't you know that's my chair? Yeah. You know, that's where I sit. What? We're creatures of habit, right? And we can get in the habit of being religious. Yeah. This happened to the early Christians. And sometimes it happens for a lot of different reasons. But something was going on as the church was growing and spreading. And most of you know, the early Christians, the first Christians were all Jews. They became Christians. And then the next wave was they began converting Gentiles. Praise God they converted Gentiles. Amen? Yeah. Praise God. God is not prejudiced. He likes everybody. Because there's probably not many of us that would have made it because probably not many of us have much Jewish blood in us. But God loves everybody and the church became more and more Gentile. And somewhere along the line, about 30 years later, the Roman Empire started figuring out, wait a second. We thought this group was just a branch of Jews and Judaism, but now we're realizing this is a whole different group. And they're way more radical. And they're having a big impact on the empire. And they're impacting city after city after city. Because everywhere there was a church, the city was being impacted and changed. And the Roman Empire didn't like anybody rocking the boat. And so they started going after the Christians. Now, they had already worked out basically a treaty with the Jews. As long as you don't rock the boat, you guys could be the exception. You can have your own religion. But everybody else has got to have the religion of Roman Empire which is emperor worship. So this group, once they realized, you know, this group, they called them the Nazarenes, the Christians. And once they realized these people are different, they started going after them. And they would do things like make them swear allegiance to Caesar and call Caesar Lord. Because they figured out that a Christian won't do that. A Christian will not call a false god God. A Christian will not say Caesar is Lord. Right. Because as Christians, we say Jesus is Lord. True. Right? Yep. So they figured out if we do that, we can catch all the Christians. So they started knocking on the doors. And imagine that somebody knocks on your door. Imagine you're Jewish. Mm. You became a Christian. Mm. Now it's okay to be Jewish. Roman Empire's got no problem with you. But if you're a Christian, you're going to lose everything. Your house, your children, your life. You may have to watch your children be fed to wild animals. And they were doing that. Wow. The Emperor Nero was famous for impaling Christians on a spike, covering them in tar, and burning them to light his garden. The Roman Empire would throw families in the arena so the crowds could watch the lions tear them apart. And so they knock on your door and they say, are you a Jew or are you a Christian? Mm. And you know you're both. Mm. It's easy to say, oh, I'm a Jew. And some of the Jews started backing away from Jesus mm. and saying, oh, no, I'm just a Jew. And so the Holy Spirit 
prompted the book of Hebrews. Amen. The reason it's called the book of Hebrews is because it's specifically written to Hebrew Christians, but it also applies to all Christians. Right. And basically, this is what happens. When it gets hard to live the Christian life, how do you handle that? Amen. Do you back off? Because there's a, there's a Christianity out there that is acceptable. Don't be too religious. Don't bring up religion at work. Don't bring up religion at school. Don't try to impose your religion on anybody else. Don't you dare think your religion is better than any other religion. And don't you dare say that your religion is the truth or the true religion or that your leader, Jesus, is the only way to heaven. The acceptable religion is everybody does their own thing. Everybody believes their own thing and everybody has their own truth. But that's fake religion. That's not the religion of the Bible. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty exclusive. That kind of preaching will get you in trouble. You say that at work, you're going to be in trouble. You say that at school, somebody's going to come after you. You say that to your family, they're all going to come after you. And we know that. A lot of us have experienced that persecution. But it's a whole lot easier to just be quiet about it. Right. Not rock the boat. Come on. Not say anything. And I'm not saying we got to go out and pick fights. But if you stand for the truth, people will come after you. The Bible says you cannot live a godly life without being persecuted. True. Yeah. If you live a godly life, if you stand up for the true Jesus, you will be persecuted. Preach, bro. But nobody's persecuting us. Well. <laughs> what does that mean? Hence, the book of Hebrews, which is a book of encouragement, a book of challenge. It's basically a call back to Jesus. Here's the interesting thing about the book of Hebrews is it was written somewhere in the mid-60s, not the 1960s, the first 60s. All right, first. There weren't hippies back then, there weren't... You know, it wasn't about love, drugs, and rock and roll. It was a whole different world. Mm. But around the mid-60s, and this is around the time that persecution was getting really hot against Christians. So, if we know Jesus was crucified somewhere around AD 33, 34-ish, that means these Christians were somewhere between 25 and 35 years old in the faith. Raise your hand if you're somewhere between 25 and 35 in the faith. That's a lot of us. And I would say as a fellowship, as a group, that's probably the big bubble of population. Those of us who became Christians in the late 80s and early 90s, that's the age of these Christians. That's how long they've been around. And it really didn't have anything to do, age in the kingdom is not the same as age in the world. You can be 20 years old and be an old, crusty Christian. Oh. Kingdom kids have been in the church their whole life. You know, maybe they've only been Christian five years, but they've been in the church 20 years, you know? And so you can be old and crusty even when you're young. So watch out. You don't want to be old and crusty. 
So, the book of Hebrews. Who was it written to? Hebrew Christians. Why? Because they were backing off. Because they were shrinking back on their faith. And it's an encouragement. It's a, it's a, another way of translating the exact same word is it's an admonition to hang in there, to stay faithful. A lot of the best scriptures in the Bible about faith are in the book of Hebrews. About hanging in there, not falling away, and not giving up. They're in the book of Hebrews. And what is the strategy of the Holy Spirit to strengthen the church? The book of Hebrews focuses us on Jesus. That's what the book. That's what the book's about. Is who is Jesus? It is the book. If I had only one book to teach a whole bunch of people about who Jesus is, I'd use the book of Hebrews. We say, well, I the gospels better. Gospels are great because you get to see Jesus in action. But in terms of explaining who He is, it's the book of Hebrews. It's the book that most shows us that he is God in the flesh and shows us that in every single way he was also a human, Mm. a person, Mm. and suffered everything we suffer and went through everything we go through. I'm going to zip through some of the background because that's not, you didn't come here today for an in-depth Bible class, but there's some things that are important. The key scripture, most most books have a key scripture. Here's the key scripture. Hebrews 12, 12. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet. Make every effort to live in peace with all men. Be holy. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau. I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing several scriptures here. This is the basic summary of the book of Hebrews. It's don't quit. Amen. Don't space out. Don't. don't give up. Don't lose your faith. And for God's sake, don't be like Esau. You remember who Esau was? He sold his inheritance for a bowl of soup. Because he was hungry. Now I know how we get when we're hungry. We get desperate. But why would you sell everything you have coming for a bowl of soup? How stupid is that? That's why he's saying, don't be like Esau. Don't lose your salvation for any stupid worldly thing. Well, you don't know, Robert, somebody hurt my feelings. Somebody hurt Jesus' feelings too. Well, you know, Robert, I've been wronged. Somebody wronged Jesus too. Yes. Preach. Well, you know, Robert, my friends abandoned me. Somebody abandoned Jesus too. Preach. Well, you know, I had friends that turned on me. All of Jesus' friends turned on him. There is no reason ever to walk away from Jesus. Wow. Ever. The audience already told you, and by the way, they're also second generation Christians. We know that Hebrews 2.3 says salvation which was announced to us, announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. They were, they didn't get converted by Jesus. They were converted by people who were converted by people who were converted by Jesus. That's like us. That's like us. I mean, 
I don't think anybody in here had Jesus personally visit you and convert you. <laughs> Most of us had to trust God. Yeah. Everybody always wants a personal visit, right? Yeah. I want God to show up in my bedroom tonight, you know? Ooh. I want an angel of the Lord to show up. The fact is, that's a handful of people in all the history of the world. Everybody else on the planet, God sends somebody to us yes. to reach out to us. You're here because somebody reached out to you. You're here because somebody loved you enough to bring you to church. Yep. The author, now that's a good big mystery. There's a whole thing on that. I love that. But probably, probably Apollos. Maybe Barnabas. Maybe Barnabas. And possibly the real radical one is maybe Priscilla. You have to come to you have to come to my class on Hebrews or read my book on Hebrews to know that more about that. Um, beautiful, the language is beautiful. It's beautiful Greek, highest Greek, way higher than the Gospels or even Paul's letters. The theme I already told you about. Outline Hebrews one through six is who is Jesus. Seven through ten, the ministry of Jesus, and ten through thirteen are basically exhortations, challenges. What the Bible is encouraging us to do and be. Here's the outline. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is the perfect priest. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the high priest. Jesus is greater than Abraham. Jesus is greater than the priesthood of Aaron or Melchizedek. Jesus has the greatest covenant. And Jesus has the greatest sacrifice. And the temple that he is building in and the home that we have in heaven is greater than the temple or the tabernacle. So, bottom line, Jesus is the greatest. That's the outline of the book. It tells us that he is God's messenger. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being. He sustains all things. He's the purification of sins. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's superior to the angels. He's God's own son. He's the firstborn of creation. He is God. He is king. He's the, he made the earth. He made the heavens. He's eternal. And it says all that in the first paragraph. Wow. The first paragraph. Amazing. Man, the Holy Spirit came out swinging. Woo. When he came out, when he wrote the book of Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus is greater than the prophets, than the angels, than Moses, than Joshua, than high priests. Greater than Abraham, greater than the priesthood of Aaron, greater than the covenant of Moses, greater than the tabernacle. I mean, you get the point here? Yes. We have, through Jesus, superior blessings, superior hope. Now, you've got to remember that oh, for, this was written to Jews, so they're all thinking of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. And he's trying to tell them, look, what you've got is way better. Mm. Way better. But I've learned this. Just because something is better doesn't mean you're loyal. Well doesn't mean you're faithful. So he's reminding them. He's reminding them. The worst day in the kingdom of God is better than the best day in the world. Yeah. That's the truth. Yeah. Superior possessions, superior country, superior resurrection, superior promises, superior blood sacrifice. Now what Hebrews is often known for is the warnings. Yeah. Hebrew, the Hebrew letter is outlined in five warnings. It's like five little sermons. In fact, some would say that the book of Hebrews is actually a transcribed sermon. When somebody would read it, they would read it just like a sermon. Point one, or warning number one, don't drift away. Pay attention! That's what it says. 
Warning number two, do not doubt the Lord. Trust Him. Make every effort. Warning number three, don't stop growing. For some reason, most of us have this learning curve. We become Christians, we've got tons to learn, and then we plateau. After about a year or two. And some people stay that way for years. Instead of continually growing and growing and growing in the Lord. Number four. Don't shrink back. Stay close to God. And number five. Don't deny the Lord. Live by faith. Walk by faith. Don't give up. And then there are some of the strongest, I would say some of the scariest scriptures in the whole Bible about falling away, about losing all hope, about there no longer being a sacrifice when you turn your back on God. And probably one of the mis most misunderstood because it says that they can never come back, those who turn away from the Lord. And that has to be explained because we know that there's a point where people can come back but then there's a point where people will never come back. Mm. Usually, people know when they've crossed that line. How do you know? Well, because they'll never come back. If they come back, then you know they haven't crossed that line yet. <laughs> so, all we have time, I basically already gave you chapter one. So let's jump into chapter 2, verse 1. Let's go, bro. Awesome. We got all of about 10 minutes here. Take your time, bro. Chapter 2. This is the first warning. I'm going to walk through the warning. He says, we must pay most careful attention. Right there, right there, that challenges us all. Because in this day and age, we're terrible at paying attention. Our attention span is about three seconds. And we start looking at other things, and we start checking our phones, and, and we start doodling, and we start doing other things. It's a discipline. It requires discipline to be close to God. It means you have to learn how to train your mind to focus and think about something for a while. It means we have to set up our lives in such a way that we have time for Jesus. Time to listen to Him. Time to read our Bibles. You cannot be a strong Christian and never have time for the Bible. You can't. Because part of being a Christian is setting up your life around Jesus. That's so, bro. So you always have time. You may not have time to play video games. You may not have time to, to do whatever, watch whatever, watch the 37th, you know, binge of some program. You may not have time to do everything you want to do, but if you're a Christian, you make sure you have time for the Lord. Let's go on, yeah. He says, pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. You've heard a lot this morning. Mm-hmm. Pay attention. Hmm. So, so that we do not drift away. One of the clues, one of the reasons why we think it might be Apollos who wrote this <coughs> is because we know Apollos was from Alexandria. 
And the Greek written in the book, of, the book of Hebrews is beautiful Greek. It's really, it's very pretty. And, you know, I had to translate the first paragraph in a class. It took mm -hmm. me forever because it's such elevated Greek. I look up every single word and try to figure out how it was used and how it meant. Paulos was known for what? Being a great speaker, right? He's also obviously very Greek. What Jew would name their kid Apollos, a Greek god, right? He's obviously very entrenched, but he also knows the Old Testament. The book of Hebrews quotes the Old Testament 61 times. Wow. And the book of Hebrews is very tied into the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So we know that, and, and Apollos lived in Alexandria, which is a port city. And what that clues is important is because there's a lot of nautical language in here about boats and, and language that a sailor would know. Drift away. Here's one of them. Mm. The drifting away. Yeah. It's a word that means, it's, it's used to describe a boat that hasn't been properly anchored. Mm. And when the tide goes out, it takes the boat with it. Come on, bro. Yeah. They didn't anchor it right. And so he uses this word. He's saying, don't let yourself get taken out of the tide. Pay attention to your spirituality. Pay attention to your faith. Pay attention to your walk with God. Know where you're at. Don't space out and wake up miles from the shore. Don't find out that you're a long ways from God. Pay attention to where you're at, that you're properly moored. This is what happens to Christians. Christians don't fall away overnight. It doesn't happen in one week. It doesn't happen in one month. It usually happens over months. And then Satan knows exactly what to throw at you. He waits till you're weak, so you're low in the spirit, you're not very strong spiritually, and then he goes after you and lures you in. I like that word, lure. <laughs> he lures you in and kills you spiritually. And the next thing you know, you're angry at the church, you're angry at somebody, you're angry at God, you're angry at the Bible. Things happen that, had that happened, Four months earlier when you were doing great spiritually, you would have just prayed it through. You would have had a good talk and worked it through in your heart. But now it's deadly. Mm. Now it's deadly. When Jesus talks about the hearts of many will grow cold, this is what happens. Right. We see it in relationships all the time, right? Yeah. Christianity is all about relationships. Yeah. You see people... Weddings, everybody's so in love, and it's all about love, and everybody's kissing each other and looking at each other, and people are crying, and it's wonderful. What's it like six months later? That's the way it's supposed to be, right? I can tell you, in, in two weeks, Michelle and I, we celebrate our 31 year, and it's awesome. But let me tell you something. We've had our ups and downs. We've had days that wasn't wonderful. And we had to pound it out. I remember one time we got in an argument in the morning. It was our day off. And we started arguing, 
And we were arguing and arguing and arguing and arguing. And then the next thing I know is 1 p.m. I'm like, we've spent our whole day all arguing. <laughs> so you know what we did? We got on our knees and prayed. Amen. Amen. And the argument ended. Yeah. Both of us are stupid. Yeah. And by the, you know, four hours later, you don't even remember what started the argument. But the same thing happens in your relationship with God. Right. If you're not taking care of it, stupid stuff. Mm. And your heart will grow. How do you know? You're not excited about church anymore. Mm. You're not excited about God anymore. Preach, bro. How do you know your heart is growing cold? You start holding back. You start holding back time. I don't have time for this. I'm not driving an extra 10 minutes to church. Well, what is this? Well, <laughs> we got disciples in our church who risk their lives going to church. Out, bro. Who take hours walking, taking buses, taking peseros and jitneys and, and whatever else, the little combis and all this stuff. And then they take the train and they get to church two hours later. I'm not driving in my comfortable padded seat converting my car with air conditioning and stereo system for an extra 10 minutes. Oh, what kind of sacrifice is this? Wow. Preacher, Robert. Can you imagine sitting around in heaven comparing what we all went through? Oh, yeah, I was stuck in a pole and burned alive. They killed my kids. They fed them to lions. I was beaten almost to death. What'd you go through? I had to drive 10 more minutes on the freeway. <laughs> And my stereo system isn't very good. <laughs> I mean, really? Come on. I said, well, why don't we have church in Bakersfield and see who's committed? Oh, yeah. See who shows up. See who's willing to go through anything. Amen, bro. Because they understand the value of this. And they love the Lord. And they can't wait to praise God. Preach, bro. What happens when our heart grows cold? Well, we just don't want to sacrifice anymore. We don't want to humble ourselves when we're wrong. Our pride consumes us. Yeah, it's the same things that happen in marriage. We won't apologize. We can't see when we're wrong. All we can see is everyone else is wrong. And we certainly don't want to give our money. In fact, we don't even want to give our talents. There's someone sitting in the eyes. We can sing like angels. Mm. Why did God give you that talent? Mm. It wasn't so you can impress people. It's so you can glorify God. Amen. Use your talents. Whatever they are. We don't want to give our heart anymore. You say, well, Robert, I've been hurt. I understand that. We get hurt along the way. We get disillusioned sometimes. But that's why we can get on our knees and pray. Yeah. Because this isn't about people. This is about God. Right. And I give what I give, not so I can be thanked, not so people can appreciate me, not even so I'll be respected. I give what I give because God gave to me. Yeah. Period. You can all fall away. I'm showing up. Nothing is going to stop me from showing up. But you understand what I'm saying here. Mm -hmm. yeah. This is what Jesus warned us. He says, for since the message spoken through the angels 
was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape? Oh, my Bible's ripped. Let me read it over here. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to us signs, wonders, and various miracles and the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. He's basically saying, look, if people in the Old Testament got punished for disobeying an angel, how much more do we deserve to be punished if we disobey Jesus? God in the flesh. Son of God. Don't ignore this salvation. Mm. You've been saved. Amen. Amen. I was talking to my friend the other night. He said, you know, Robert, you and me aren't going to die. And at first I was like, what do you mean you and me are going to die? I thought, he's right. My body's going to die. But I'm not going to die. We mourned with the Sanchez family. Mm -hmm. Grandpa died physically. Right. But he will go on. Amen. I want to meet him in heaven. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to know him here. But I'll get to know him up there. Mm -hmm. It's not over for a Christian. Right. Do you understand how valuable that is? Wow. How awesome that is. It's what really, at the end of the day, it's what really matters. <coughs> I'll give you the sneak peek. The whole year, I already said it, we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. Amen. That is the solution the book of Hebrews presents, the Holy Spirit presents. And it's what ultimately matters is who's going to have a warm welcome to Jesus. You know the, the Titanic? You all know the story, and if you don't know the story, you saw the movie. Yeah. <laughs> when it sailed out, oh my gosh. people got on first class, second class, third class, steerage, workers. They're all divided according to class. But in New York, when that ship sunk, they had a huge sign in the bay. And it didn't have classes. There was only two categories. Lost and saved. That's all that mattered. Didn't matter what class you are. Didn't matter how much money you have or don't have. All that matters in the end is are you lost or are you saved? Are your children lost or are they saved? Are your grandchildren lost or are they saved? You say, I'm only 18, I don't have grandkids. And I am a grandkid. You will someday. And how you live your life now and the decisions you make now will determine whether they get a chance or not. Lost or saved? In the end, it's the only thing that matters is to get that hug from Jesus. Amen. Like my friend Steve Johnson said, 
I want to hear him say, well done. I don't want to be well done. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stop there. <laughs>